0: A friend commented this week that it's a difficult time to be hopeful. And I think we probably all know something of what he meant. Whether it's the war in Ukraine that just keeps grinding on, or the drought in the horn of Africa threatening countless lives, or crises of leadership in a variety of places, or the bitterness and division that seem to block the way forward in so many contexts today, or any number of other painful and challenging realities we might have close to our hearts, the world's brokenness and need are on full display these days. I think we can all understand something of what my friend meant. It's not an easy time to be hopeful. And yet here we are in Advent, maybe the time of year when hope is most prominent in our reading and our praying and our singing. Here we are in the season when we pray for Emmanuel, God with us, to come, to teach us, to free us, to refresh our hearts, to disperse the gloomy clouds of night. Here we are in the season when John the Baptist points to one who is coming to bring the change that we long for, to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. Here we are in the season when the prophets dream up this new world where swords will be turned to plowshares. A nation will no longer lift up sword against nation, and no one will need to learn war anymore. Hope is all over the place in our worship services in Advent. And I don't know about you, but it can feel a little bit jarring at times these days with all that's going on around us in this moment when it's not so easy to be hopeful. I found it helpful this week to be reminded once again that hope is not the same thing as optimism. Optimism says, well, it's not really so bad. Just look on the bright side. Everything's going to turn out just fine. Hope is something quite different. Hope says, even though I can't see very far ahead, I trust that God is here and God will not abandon us. Not now, not ever. Well, optimism is dependent on the circumstances around us, does the outcome look good or not? Hope is rooted simply in the faithfulness and love of God. So hope is actually a practice. It is something that we do, something that we need to be intentional about, especially in times when it doesn't come naturally. So in that way, Advent couldn't come at a better time this year. In this moment, with more than its share of worries and challenges and fears, we are invited to practice hope, to train our spirits, toward trusting in God. Trusting that God is not finished with this world or with us, that the promises still hold true. It is a discipline, a task, something that we do together. And the prophet Isaiah gives us a chance to practice tonight. If you thought the vision last week of nations journeying together and an earth free from war was something, well, today, Our text describes a world so thoroughly changed it is almost unrecognizable. A new ruler, blessed with God's own wisdom and righteousness, governs with true justice, ensuring the well-being of the poor and the meek. And the creation itself is changed. Predators and prey live peacefully side by side. The most vulnerable rest in safety and security. The whole earth is full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. This is an astounding, all-encompassing picture of a world utterly saturated with peace. And notice that it starts with a stump. A shoot shall grow out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. I mentioned last week that Isaiah's vision of people beating their weapons into garden tools would have sounded probably just as distant and far off to his audience as it might to us. Isaiah lived in Jerusalem in the 8th century BCE in a time of great political upheaval when empires of the ancient Near East were vying for control of the region. The Jewish people were divided into two kingdoms at this time. And in Isaiah's days, the northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom of Judah, Isaiah's home, was threatened by violence from multiple directions. The kingdom was in crisis and the way forward was anything but clear. Everywhere you looked, there was destruction. Where before there had been tall, strong trees, now there were only stumps. Where there had once been life in peace and security, now there was only a stump. Where there had once been a flourishing country nearby, now there was only a stump. Where there had once been rulers governing with integrity and mercy, now there was only a stump. I think it's... Profoundly important that Isaiah's vision begins there, with a picture of life that has been sawed off at the source. We know what that's like. We know what it feels like to look around at what had once been flourishing, a relationship, a career, a path for the future, a society, a nation, a dream, and see nothing but a cold, flat surface. Isaiah knew plenty about stumps, and I'm guessing we do too. So I think it's profoundly important that this vision of a peaceful world begins there. It doesn't begin with some obvious, you-couldn't-possibly-miss-it display of power and might. No. Isaiah's vision of a new world of peace begins with something that you could actually miss if you weren't looking for it. It begins with a stump and a tiny blade of green. You've all seen this sort of thing, right? A tiny plant taking root where it seems nothing should be growing maybe creeping out from the crack in the rocks on some high mountain peak, or pushing its way up between the stones of an ancient street. Anna spotted the plant that's on the cover of your bulletin today, just by the side of the lake. These shouts of life springing from a place where a tree was chopped down. God has great dreams for the world and its creatures, Isaiah says. God is far from finished, Even if there are stumps all around, even from a stump, God can bring new life. In November, I spent a few days in Leipzig for a pastor's meeting. And one afternoon, we crowded into a tiny church basement in the city to listen to Ulrich Seidel. Pastor Seidel grew up in the former East Germany, and he was working as a pastor in local congregations in Leipzig in the 1980s. Though they were limited in what they could say publicly, churches were actually given a relatively high degree of autonomy within their own walls during the East German government's uh, rule. They were actually one of the few places where it was possible to speak with some degree of freedom at that time. And they became important gathering places for all sorts of people dissatisfied with the harsh restrictions that were being imposed on society. Pastor Seidel shared his experience of watching weekly prayer times in the churches in Leipzig take root. Over a period of years, these gatherings grew from just a few people at first to hundreds, and finally in 1989 to thousands of people, packing into the churches and spilling out into the streets. He spoke of the simplicity of these gatherings that he was a part of. There was some singing, some reading, time to reflect and discuss and share. He spoke of how powerful it was to read the Beatitudes together as a group in that setting, longing together for a world where the poor powerless, the meek were lifted up in the midst of a state rigidly imposing control on so much of life. He spoke about the night in November of 1989 when the prayer gatherings included most of the people in the city. While armed soldiers looked on, thousands upon thousands of people burst from the churches armed with nothing in their hands but light. We had planned for everything, a government leader later said of that night, but not for candles and prayers. The candlelight vigil that engulfed the city that night, along with similar events in other towns, is widely viewed as contributing to the fall of the Berlin Wall that very month. There were stumps all around East Germany in the 1980s. And even from those stumps, life continued to grow. I was deeply moved this week by a photograph from Kiev. It's a picture of a dark concert hall. Maybe some of you saw this too with an orchestra sort of strangely illuminated at the front, with the only light coming from below. You all know about the blackouts in Kiev right now. Russian military forces inflicted all that damage on the electrical grid, leaving millions of people without power much of the time. Of course, this is another tactic meant to bring life to a halt and the country to its knees. But in so many ways, ordinary people are standing up in defiance. Doctors are continuing to work with the resources they have, Neighbors are sharing emergency supplies. Restaurants are offering menus of cold dishes. And the orchestra is continuing to play. The photograph I saw was of a concert with no electricity. The National Philharmonic of Ukraine played on the stage as scheduled last week with small battery-powered lanterns on the floor, lighting them from below. In this otherwise darkened room, which I have to imagine was also rather cold, they played like always. We work to warm the hearts of people, said the director, so that people can find comfort there in these extremely difficult times. There are stumps all around Ukraine right now, and even from these stumps, shoots of life continue to grow. All these people, the ordinary folks coming to pray and light candles in Leipzig in the 1980s, the doctors working by flashlight in Kiev today, The musicians playing to a dark concert hall are all practicing hope. With stumps all around, they are taking a step toward life. And friends, we can too. To his audience in a bruised and battered Jerusalem thousands of years ago and to us today, Isaiah offers something precious, a reminder that our God never lets death and despair have the last word. Our God is always in the business of new life, coaxing new growth where it seemed impossible with our God around, green shoots are never far from the surface. And because that is so, there is always hope. Always. Thanks be to God. Amen.